Paul Ihander with you here next up here on 99.9 The Fan, live and local. Every morning, 9 to 10, you don't have to wait for the things that you need later. You can get it all right now and today. And what we're talking about right now during the weigh-in, Tim Donnelly joins us from the drive every afternoon, 3 to 6 here on 99.9 The Fan. The CFP had more meetings yesterday in Dallas to talk more about the expanded playoff system, the college football playoff. Now, we know that they have approved what is known as the 5 plus 7 model. As you know, the math adds up to 12 for those of you who are still just waking up. 12 teams will vie for the national championship this year and next year before or whatever happens with the next TV deal. But already a day after approving the 5-7 model with the blessing of the soon-to-be defunct Pac-12, which is really the Pac-2, they want more. They met, and now they're talking about 14 teams coming up, saying that there's still some more work to do. Jim Phillips, as you know, the big bad ACC commissioner, Florida State's uh, Dr. Evil, so to speak, uh, there was a talk about putting together multiple automatic qualifiers from conferences, which I think is hot garbage, but Tim will answer that question for me. says, at the end of the day, it's about the right model. We're continuing to listen to each other. This is called playing nice, folks. And try to practically put something together that is good for college football. Tim Donnelly of The Drive is here. Tim, do you think commissioners of the big four conferences and whoever else is left out there are actually going to put something together that is good for college football? That's an interesting way to, to phrase the question. The answer to that question is no, because they're not thinking about what's good for college football. They're thinking about what's good for their conference's pockets. So uh, I assume they'll find the, the most lucrative answer to the question, but I do not think they'll find the one that's best for college football. So the reasoning behind the to go to 14 is to allow more participation, which I'm okay with. I'm good with participation. What I'm not good with is that the argument is coming up with the two largest conferences right now. And again, I stress the word largest, capital L, the Big Ten, and the SEC, which are saying, well, we have more teams. We should have more automatic qualifiers. To which I say, hmm, this feels like a little bully ball to me. I mean, that's exactly what it is. The, 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 here's, what, <laughs> here's the rock and the hard plays that the ACC and, and the Big 12 are in. It's like you're in the room right now, right? You're, you, your commissioner gets to come to these meetings. Here's what we want to do. If you disagree, we'll stop inviting you to these meetings and we'll just go do a big, big 10 SEC thing by ourselves, and nobody wants to be left out of that. So uh, you have to, I don't want to say kowtow, but kowtow a little bit to, to what they want because you just don't want to be left out. Well, the ACC gets – a lot of what it craved for this year because of the expansion to 12. Unfortunately, it came a year too late for Florida State, Clemson, NC State. They get that. But in the 14, it feels like, okay, well, we're just kind of stepping back to where we were this year because we're going to invite eight SEC teams at this point. Yeah, the, and, and I saw Brian Murphy, WRL investigative reporter, kind of hypothesizing it could be eight from the SEC and Big Ten, four combined from the ACC – or sorry, from the SEC and Big Ten. I don't know if I said that right. Uh, four from the ACC and Big 12, and then and then some at-large there tacked on at the end. I actually think they're somewhere, like, they're in – if they're going to go this big, go, th like, 32, right? Go full FCS and have, like, a, a month and, and change. An actual playoff. If you're going to go this far, they're they're in the, the purgatory right now because if you want conference championships to matter a ton, you go eight. If you want conference championships not to matter at all and all be about net ranking and quad wins, you go to 32. That's what we do in basketball. 
And and if you want to be somewhere in the middle and just try to you know, have your cake and eat it too, have a bunch of games to make a bunch of money, but also you don't want to play 32, then you, you end up with 14. Tim Donnelly here with The Drive on 99.9 The Fan. Joining us here on Next Up, Paul Eihander with you on this very, very lively Thursday morning as we talk college football. Do you think Nick Saban could fix it? If we just had Nick Saban, <laughs> Nick Saban says he wants to fix it. He says he wants to be a voice in college football. A lot of others agree, saying now you don't have the argument saying, oh, he's just in it for him, he's just in it for Bama, he's in it for all of college football. Do you give Nick Saban the keys to the kingdom for, say, nine months during the 24-25 season and go, hey, I want you to study all the landscape and then give us your three best ideas and we're going to put them all in play? Here's my my like low-key secret on Nick Saban. Maybe the best thing he did uh, – was hire great assistant coaches, right? If it, he's a defensive wondermind, right? And and yeah. on the defensive side, he can handle things. But you know, when he hired Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin was in a strange place in his career. When he hired Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien was in a strange place in his career. Some of the offensive minds that he brings in, he was able to delegate. So uh, if you told me he was going to be the commissioner or the head of a committee or something like that. I think he would bring in the right minds. I think he would bring in somebody like Coach K because they've had a relationship. I think he would bring in uh, some some people that have been around and also probably some tech nerd who's on the TikTok because he understands that's coming also. I, like if you told me he could he could lead a committee, yeah, I don't want anyone to have absolute power. I don't I don't want Nick Saban to be able to say the SEC gets six, the ACC gets one on a good year, and the Big Twelve gets none. But I, at I, least it would be decisive though. And you could it lay it be. on. You could lay it on somebody because right now we're just yelling at an amorphous uh, this blob of whatever it is that we're calling this college football hierarchy. The uh, college football board of managers is what they're calling it. Oh, which okay. there are too many boards, there are too many committees in college sports. I don't know who's on any of them or what they do. Uh, I just I do think it would be funny if if somebody complains and says I wants to see the manager and then you hit him with well we have a board of managers and you welcome like eight guys or eight eight people um the board of managers for the college football playoff they're they're in it for the college football playoff the the scenario you just proposed with Nick Saban and Nick Saban just said this he wants to be about changing and and adapting and keeping the health of college football that's not what really there's no real uh uh committee or board of managers out there that is all about the future of college football there's the acc they have a board they're about the acc there's the board of managers for the college football playoff they're about the college football playoff nobody is looking at the general overall health and that if you told me nick saban was in that role i would take anybody in that role i just want somebody with that to be their goal all right we're sticking with the college football theme with a few minutes uh notice we have left uh, word came out this morning that notre dame is now in in to the college football 25 for EA Sports. So we have all the FBS teams, and now they're going to pay players. Mm-hmm. They're going to pay everybody 600 bucks a year for as long as they are an active player. If they opt in. If they opt in. So they have to opt in. $600 a year, 85 players per school. I did not do the math on this one. I'm sorry. Uh, but it, this is in the millions of dollars, and then everyone gets a copy of the game, right? There's about 11,000 athletes, which I believe comes to like $6.6 million. Okay, so $6.6 million a year plus the video game or whatnot. So, you know, $10 million. We'll just call it $10 million a year for this game to come back. You'll now be able to play as all your favorite teams or whatnot. Do you imagine any athlete is going to opt out of this? Ooh, interesting. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, like, from my college football playing career, I was – when I read the the 
reports today. I was jacked up. They got a free game. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I used to have to pay $50, and I had to come up with that $50. Um, and it's more expensive now. So the free game alone would get, would get me to sign up. Um, it would have to take a very, very brand focus. Like, I, I could see a school like USC understanding, like, if they had a Caleb Williams, but they wouldn't, set, like, just tell Caleb Williams no. They would tell, like, hey, let's organize all of USC is not in the game and, and, and try to negotiate that up. I don't think any one person would do it because they would just be absolutely killed by middle schoolers everywhere that want to play with their favorite player. Um, but, but if, you know, the big like a, like a, yeah, like a USC when it was Leinert and Bush and, and Lendale White, if they all got together and said, you know, we'll, we'll wear this as a unit, they might be able to get themselves a little bit more money because I think then, you know, if you don't have the best team in the game, then EA Sports would have to change the way they do things. There's some guys at senior day right now who are going, oh, man, sweet. Do I have one more COVID year coming? Because I could get back in on this. I'll just, I'll this just opt in and then not play. Right. Once once I'm in the game, once I'm on the roster, it's, it's nothing you can do about so it. So friendly advice to, to Grayson McCall, do not become Mason Gracall. Just t- take the 600 because we all want to play with you as a pack quarterback. That, yeah, but don't become QB 14 or whatever number there, it is. Like there it used you to go. Be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tim, who could this possibly be? Tim Donnelly with the drive every afternoon. Check him out at 3 o'clock later on today. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much, Paul. I'm Graham Hill with three things you need to know right now from 999 The Fan. A new episode of Pat Therapy hosted by Tim Donnelly and myself will be released tomorrow. In this week's edition, we'll recap the Wolfpack's comeback coming up just short against Syracuse and what's left to play for this season if you're NC State. There are big matchups in the ACC on the women's college basketball side tonight as number six NC State faces North Carolina at 8 p.m. in Chapel Hill. Duke is also on the road at number 17, Syracuse, for a 7 p.m. tip. It's hockey night in Carolina as the Hurricanes welcome the Florida Panthers to PNC Arena for a rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Finals. Our coverage begins with Stormwatch at 6.30 right here on The Fan with Adam Gold, Hut Drop with Mike Maniscalco and Trip, Tra- Trip Tracy just after 7 p.m. After the game, check out the Canes Corner Podcast, also hosted by Adam Gold on The Fan's YouTube channel. Find these stories and more on WROSportsFan.com. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Next up here on 99.9 The Fan. If uh, you missed any portion of the show, you can revisit it on our YouTube page, 99.9thefanyoutube.com. Also, wherever you find your favorite podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe to Next Up with 99.9 The Fan. You can listen to my melodious tones along with Instagram Hill anytime, anywhere you want. But you don't have to wait for the things that you need because we are here right now. We're playing a little bit in the sandbox today. As I teased up before, there is a tie between Mario Lemieux, the Pittsburgh Penguins great, and 15-time major winner Tiger Woods today. Why do you say there's a tie between these two guys? Because they both have offspring. Charlie Woods, 15 years old. Mario's son, Austin Lemieux, is 27. Both are playing in the qualifying field at Lost Lake Golf Club. I hope I pronounced this right. At Hobie Sound, Florida. Top 25 players 
and ties from each site will advance to a final qualifier on Monday, and then four players will make it onto a PGA Tour event next week in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Yes, Tiger Woods' son, who has veins in his arms, like he's 15, he plays golf like dad, and would even beat Dad's record if he manages to make a PGA Tour debut at 15. Dad did it at 16. Mario's son, Austin, is 27. He's in the qualifying field. Also, Matt Kuchar, PGA Tour, he's got a son named Cameron. He's 17, and he's also in the field. So one of these kids, and then you know, this is the apple, not just falling from the tree, the athletic tree, so to speak. This is a bountiful harvest of apples coming from this tree. Meanwhile, I can't keep my drive straight. You're uh, you're hitting it off the hosel? Yeah, it's a little right. I mean, this is just, look at this. I mean, everything you just went through, I mean, this is just a legacy of golf players just being passed right down the bloodline, to, to quote WWE a little bit. I mean, this is the bloodline coming up for the next generation of professional golf players and probably some of the best golf players we'll see in our generation. There's a thought about being a sports fan, uh, just as you progress through life, your heroes are usually older than you. Then your heroes become your age. And then you become older than the people that you watch play the sports that you used to idolize. And you are now seeing that movement as Tiger. Of course, he's fought some, he's fought some injuries and, and some demons in his life. Now seeing his son, who is, again, we're talking about a 15-year-old. So you're looking at Tiger Woods. He's got a 15-year-old. You know, Earl, unfortunately, his father not around to see it, uh, but he gets to see his son play. And this, and to be to be completely honest, Charlie, Tiger's son, has been really preparing for this moment. Like there has been no doubt, the pressure that's out there. He has had cameras in his face. He has had attention on him. He knows what's coming. Like he knows what's coming. The expectation that arrives with something like this, and and I think Tiger, as a dad, as a father would not put his son out there like this if he didn't think he was ready to make this move. If he wasn't thinking as a dad, like, he's good. I think he's got this. Like, I know he's got this. And no pre- and hopefully there was no pressure on his own whatsoever. Charlie's won state titles. You know, I mean, he's played in the PNC Championships. We know this. He's played in, you know, lots of junior golf, as, as kids that do. He just happens to be Tiger Woods' kid and has different sets of expectations. If he lives up to those expectations, then get ready for another couple decades of woods more than anything else. There you go. Last night, Austin Matthews became the guy in the NHL. U.S. born in the desert, scored his 50th goal of the season last night. Toronto Maple Leaf. Fastest NHLer to get to 50 goals in 28 years. Two years ago, he had 60. He had two goals last night. Again, this is where he grew up. He played it, so they played at Arizona last night in the desert in the Phoenix area. That's where Austin Matthews learned how to play hockey because the Coyotes moved there. So the Coyotes moving from Winnipeg to the Phoenix area got Matthews involved in the game. There are videos of him that circulate out there of him playing juniors in the desert wearing an Arizona Coyotes uniform. There were so many Toronto fans there, and this is not unusual for the Coyotes. It's not like here in the Hurricanes, we get the occasional like Rangers nights, right? Yeah. The Rangers and the Devils, and we see the Islanders and the Blackhawks, like, and then even the Red Wings from time to time. We see like these big, loud contingents shouting the crowd. In Arizona, when the Canadians play in Arizona, Canadians come take over the building. Like there must have been 
three-quarters of the fans in that building were Toronto fans, and even more so because it's where Matthews grew up. So good on him. He is the NHL MVP right now yeah. for me. I love Austin Matthews. I, I remember when he when the Hurricanes played. It was either last season or two seasons ago. Uh, I made it. I made an effort to go to the game against the Maple Leafs as I want to see Matthews play. And of course, he scored the first goal of the game with a little wraparound shot. And it was just like, yeah, like you mentioned, the Matthews magic. Like, that's what you come to see when you watch him play on the ice. And he's got a great line made in in Mitch Marner in you know. Uh, Michael Bunting can attest to that yeah. newest Carolina Hurricane played on that line with those guys. He knows what how special that is for Toronto. Their time's running. I mean, their clock's running. I mean, they've they they finally won some playoff games last season. It's the long running joke with the you know Maple Leafs fans or like Cubs fans, uh, but they know that you know there are some contracts that are coming up and they're not getting any younger. There's no doubt about that. But Austin Matthews just special. And if there's any any we we use the word heater in hockey a lot, like he's on the ultimate heater. There's no doubt about it. 151 goals in 181 games. Insane. That's it's silly. Yeah, that that is MVP caliber talent right now for an NHL play, NHL player. Not to get sidetracked, Paul, but since you brought up Austin Matthews and Michael Bunton, and since they played last night at on the campus of Arizona State University, uh, do you think that they've uh, fixed the Pepsi glass that Mac, Michael Bunton knocked over in the hallway? <laughs> I'm sure there's a few few still hanging out there. There might be a few. I don't think they build Bunting for that one. I can't imagine that they did. All right, just playing in the sandbox here on Next Up. Greeny just around the corner for you. The last thing I want to touch on today, uh, Netflix, for those of you who subscribe to the streaming services and whatnot, which we all do, let's let's call it what it is. We all have a streaming service. I've got multiples. I'm sure many of you do too listening. Uh, as you start turning on Netflix more and more and more, you've been seeing more sports. They've got a live tennis event coming up here in, in about two weeks uh, with the, involving Rafael Nadal and uh, and uh, uh, Alcaraz, Carlos Alcaraz. They've got the new F1. There's a new season of the F1 uh, coming out. They just dropped the new NASCAR to try NASCAR series. They're and they're big into documentaries, right? We've seen a lot of these documentaries. Their latest one just announced is going to be about Major League Baseball, and it's about the move of the Montreal Expos to Washington D.C. Brand new thing. The the the. It's, it's, exploring the setbacks that led to the departure of Canada's first baseball team and how it still continues to spark debate 20 years later. Like, Netflix wants a piece of that sports pie. There's no doubt about it. And they do a really great job with it. Like, if you go back and look at some of the other docs, and, of course, we all harken back to The Last Dance, which we all have seen, you know there's a passion play for them. And even the NFL quarterback series was solid, too. So this is their latest one, just to put that on your radar. Another doc coming. You know it's going to be delivered with uh, some seriousness. Man, if, if they hooked up with Ken Burns to like do some sports documentaries, that would be pretty awesome. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If we can make that happen, we might be able to make that happen. 